is going on. And I tell you, I absolutely love these chapters tonight. I hope you're as blessed by them as I am. I love this stuff. Dustin, if you could put that first slide up there. We're going to start tonight to talk about the tabernacle and how this represents the Lord. Now, we're going to leave this up here just to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Anytime you read Old Testament, especially when you look at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see all this law, always look for Jesus in it. And when you look for Jesus in the Old Testament, all of a sudden the Old Testament comes alive. Christ said, the whole book is written about me. So when we study out the tabernacle tonight, it's really a picture of Christ. Now, we stopped last week from our study in Hebrews, and we did a time of communion. We did thankfulness there just to give God the glory for thanksgiving. So what we're talking about here in the book of Hebrews, if you haven't been with us, is how Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. And so what is now we're starting to change directions a little bit, where we're going to start talking about how Jesus is going to set up a new system. The new system. Now, two weeks ago we mentioned this. If you look back at verse 5 of chapter 8, it says, Who served a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. God gave the vision. God gave the vision to Moses on what this tabernacle is supposed to look like. And this tabernacle represents the old. Because he's going to start something new now, verse 6. But now he, meaning Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Jesus says, I'm going to take this old system and I'm going to create something better, a better covenant. Now, the word covenant is very interesting. It means agreement. It means a deal. It also means testament. So when you ever thought about that, Old Testament, New Testament, the word testament is word for covenant. So when you're reading the Old Testament, what are you reading? The Old Covenant. The Old Deal. When you're reading the New Testament, what are you reading? The New Covenant. The New Deal. So let's talk about what this New Deal is. The Old Deal was the tabernacle, the law. The New Deal is Jesus. All Jesus. Verse 7, Hebrews 8. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. That's the key verse. If the first covenant could have fixed everything, we wouldn't have needed Christ. First covenant couldn't have. You can go back and read the 613 rules and regulations in the law. You can't follow them. You can't do it. You can't earn salvation. If you could have done that, Jesus would never have had to die on the cross for your sins. So the old covenant, if it would have worked, we wouldn't have needed the second one. The purpose of the old covenant was to point out the fact that you're a sinner. The purpose of the old covenant was to prove to you that you can't. As my boys are getting older, they think they're getting stronger. They think they're getting stronger than dad. And every now and then, they want to arm wrestle or wrestle. So we'll arm wrestle, we'll wrestle, and I'll let them goof around for a little bit. And then they'll kind of just all of a sudden, when I'm done, ready just to beat them. And they'll be like, Dad, are you going full? And I'll be like, no. And Elias especially, who's 11, he's like, Dad, I want you to go full. But if I go full... I'm going to get arrested, okay? There's a reason why 39-year-olds don't fight 11-year-olds, okay? I can remember as a kid boxing with my dad. My dad bought me these little boxing gloves, and he would wrap towels around his hand. And I can remember we'd box, and I'd hit him, and he'd go down, and I'd start counting, and he got up every time at 9. Every time. And I always thought, one of these times it's going to be 10. Okay? I do that with him to remind them. I am stronger than you. And every now and then I need to remind you I'm stronger than you. 
The purpose of me beating them is not to be mean. It's just to say, yeah, remember, you can't beat me yet. What is the purpose of law? The purpose of law is to show you you can't do it. That's the whole point of Romans. Romans says the purpose of the law is for you to look at those rules, those 613 rules, and say, Jesus, I can't do this. I can't, God, I can't do this. And then Jesus says, yeah, that's the point. We set you up to fail. Well, that's not fair. No, it is fair because it teaches you you can't save yourself. So then you sit there and you say, I can't do this. And Jesus says, I know. That's why I'm giving you a new covenant. I'm giving you a new deal. And look at this great prophecy here in Jeremiah 31, verse 8. It says, because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming. says, Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, said the Lord. God says, I'm going to start something new. We're not going to do the law anymore. I'm going to do something new. What am I going to do? Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is a relationship covenant. See, Old Testament, there was no relationship. This new relationship, it's Christ. I've had people come up to me before and say, man, wouldn't it be great to live in the Old Testament, see those things? No. It would be awful. Awful. You do something wrong. You snap at your wife. You do something you shouldn't. You're killing animals left and right. You're going up to Jerusalem for these, for these feasts. And I mean, you're constantly trying to make up for your sin to prove to you that you can't. And if you really just want to have that relationship with the Lord and just really talk to Jesus or God and just say, Lord, I'm struggling today, you can't. I mean, you could pray, but it's not like it was today. See, today, verse 10, God says, I'm in your heart. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. What was it like in the Old Testament at this time? We're going to get to it, but just jump ahead real quick to Hebrews 9. Look at verse 6. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic. For the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect... Please note verse 9. Those sacrifices could never take away your sins. What were you concerned with? Verse 10. Foods, drinks, various washings and fleshy ordinances imposed in the time of Reformation. Now, let me explain what he's talking about here. It's talking about how, verse 7, once a year you had a relationship with the Lord. Now, we got this picture right here of the tabernacle. And we're going to talk about this here for a little bit. Go ahead two slides, I think, Dustin. We're going to have to jump back here for a second. Right here. You can look at this picture, and this is the tabernacle from, if you would, an aerial view. There's the second box over here to my left. That's the Holy of Holies. What he's saying is once a year, the priest, only the high priest got to go in. So what was your relationship like God in the Old Testament? If you're a typical Jew in the Old Testament, you did not have a relationship with God. The high priest did. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that's what it's called, once a year on something called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And what he would do is a sacrifice for himself, because he had a sacrifice for his sins, and then he would take blood and for the sins of the people, sprinkle it on top of the Ark of the Covenant. 
And that was their relationship with God. See, look one more time at verse 7. But into the second part, that's the Holy of Holies, went alone once a year. Compare that back to verse 10 of chapter 8. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I hope you see the difference there. Old covenant. Once a year, one man sacrificed for the entire nation. No relationship. New covenant. Christ wants a personal relationship with us. Look at verse 11 of chapter 8. None of them shall teach his neighbor. None as a brother say, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. What a beautiful thing! The Lord forgives and then forgets. Boy, we don't do that as humans, do we? We may forgive, but then in the back of my mind said, I will never forget what you did to me. And we put a wall up. And that's how we feel we're going to protect ourselves. And if I go into marriage counseling with a couple and I say, listen, you need to forgive and forget. Oh, I'm not forgetting. I'm just going to get hurt again if I do that. No, we forgive and forget and we move forward. The Lord set the example. Can you imagine if God's nature was to remind you daily of everything you've ever done wrong? The Bible says he removes it as far as the east is from the west. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness. And I hope that if somebody has ever wronged you, you can forgive them like that and say, listen, I can let it go. Because it's a beautiful feeling to be forgiven. Verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant, a new testament. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So we're getting rid of the old. We're going with the new in Jesus. A relationship. A relationship in your heart. A relationship of forgiveness. A relationship of mercy. A relationship of forgetfulness. Versus the relationship of one man And a 15 by 15 room, one day a year, sprinkling blood on the altar. Oh man, this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. So we need to talk about this. Verse 9, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to read this, then we're going to actually, this is all an introduction, guys. It's going to be a long lesson tonight. Verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. Hey, listen, here's all the different things. Dustin, go back one slide. As we read through these different elements, I want you to look at these pictures of what these different things look like here real quick. Right there. Okay, it says, For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, and which were the golden pot that had the manna. Aaron's were at the budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, this is what we get to talk about here. These are the different elements that were in the tabernacle. You can look up there, starting on the top left, altar of incense, table of showbread, bronze basin, altar of burnt offering, Ark of the Covenant, golden lampstand. These are the different elements. So now when we look at this tabernacle, let's talk about these things mean. Remember, everything is about Jesus. So when everything is about Jesus, we can now stop and say, okay, I get this. I get this. So let's go back now to that picture of the tabernacle. Go back one slide, please, Dustin. Actually, yeah, right there. Here's the tabernacle. It's a tent. It's a portable tent. 
It's a portable tent that had seven-foot-high walls, to kind of give you a perspective there. Seven-foot-high walls that kind of wanted. It had an outside area that was pretty big. I wrote down the measurements here so I wouldn't forget it. I think it was like 150 feet by 75 feet, a pretty big area. Now, if you look to my left, there's only one way to get in. There's an entrance right there, an entrance right there. Now, think of Jesus as we go through this. One way to get in. What did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. One entrance into the tabernacle, one entrance into heaven, Christ. No other way. So keep that in the back of your mind. Seven foot high wall to keep people out. In fact, when they built the temple, they used to have armed security to keep people from running into the temple to uh, cause problems. So one way to get into the tabernacle. Now this tent would have been taken down and moved those 40 years there. When they were constantly moving in the wilderness. And if you remember our study on the Levites when we went through Chronicles. All the different tribes, excuse me, all the different family sects of the Levites all had a different job. So when it got time to move the tabernacle, you knew what your job was. One family moved the veil. One family moved all the instruments. One family wrapped up the tent. Now, when my wife and I first got married 20 plus years ago, we decided that we wanted to be one of the families that camped. Okay, So my wife grew up and she likes the idea of tent camping. I think that's what people do in hell. I think they tent camp. Because you constantly, I mean, what is the point of this? You show up, it takes time, it's, I don't get it. So she enjoys that. I don't. So I look at this and if I thought my role as a Levite was to constantly move this thing, that's what they did. Time to move. Grab the tabernacle. Move it. Everybody had their job. Now, side note, your God is a very organized God. Can you imagine a few thousand Levites showing up at the tabernacle and no one knew what their job was? They knew what their job was. Very important and very detailed. So this is constantly being moved over 40 years, seven foot high walls. You have one entrance to get in, so keep that in the back of your mind. Now as you walk in, you can see the first thing you see is that bronze altar. And if you can kind of refer back to Hebrews 9 verses 1 through 5, these are the different elements. So as you go in there, this bronze altar... This bronze altar is made of wood. It's a K.O. wood. And it's overlaid with bronze. That's pretty big. Seven and a half feet on all four sides, four and a half feet deep. Pretty big. Seven and a half feet, four and a half feet deep. And it has a grating on the bottom. Because you would throw potentially, if you're doing like a burnt offering, you would throw the whole animal right in there. So this is a huge barbecue pit, if you will. Huge. So this fire is going on. Now, what does that represent? As soon as you get in through the one way, the gate, what's the first thing you see? You see the altar, the sacrifice. What does that represent? How Jesus was our sacrifice. That's the first thing you see. That blood has to be shed. Animals have to die. So as you would walk into this, the first thing you're seeing are animals on fire. Because that represents Christ being the sacrifice. Now, once you got past that, you can see the next thing there, and it's a little bit smaller. This is the bronze laver. This is water. Now, the dimensions really aren't mentioned on how big it's supposed to be. But what would happen is now after they would do the sacrifice, the priests would have to go wash themselves. Constantly washing themselves. What to represent what? Jesus washes away our sin. So they're washing their garments, they're washing their hands, they're washing their feet, they're washing everything. Before you could get even into the main tabernacle, you have to get through one gate, you have to get through past the sacrifice, and then you have to go past the washing. That's just a picture of Christ. You want to get into heaven? One way, 
There has to be a sacrifice for sins, and you have to be washed of your sins. What a beautiful picture that is. Go to the next slide, please, Dustin. So we've talked about a couple of these things. These obviously aren't to scale. We've got the altar burn offering there. Once again, seven and a half by seven and a half. A kea wood overlaid in bronze, four and a half feet deep. And what else did we talk about? The bronze basin right there. The water that would have to be washed. We're still on the outside of the tabernacle. We haven't got in it yet. But we're still on the outside. Now we're going to stop here real quick. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about tabernacle thus far? The first few items that we talked about or anything along this type of line yet? Ryan. Yeah. And the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy artifact in history, is actually there, that God's presence is actually there. Yeah. And it's not just some big scam or something. You have to believe that. Something is there for a reason. You'd never see it. And unless you were part of the priesthood, you would never actually see the inside of the tabernacle. So when the Day of Atonement came, Yom Kippur, and you're trying to explain to somebody, well, there's this Ark of the Covenant that's in there, and he's going to go sprinkle blood on top of it, in faith you're going to believe it. Now, there was times where the ark came out where they went into combat or something along that type of line. But Brian's right. As the typical Jew, you don't see any of this. It's faith. And you would very rarely get to go even past too much of this. It's faith. What a neat picture of it is. We have not seen heaven. We've heard about it. But we have not seen it. We trust that it's there. And we trust that this is the way to get in there. But we've never been there yet. What a beautiful picture that is of faith. Someone else had their hand up. Yeah, Marcus. That, if I remember correctly, is not in the Bible. That is just one of those Jewish traditions. And what Marcus is referring to is that the high priest would go in one, um, one day a year into the Holy of Holies for, like I said, Day of Atonement. And the Jewish tradition was that they would tie a rope to his foot in case he would do something dumb in there and be immediately killed. You don't have to go in there and get him. You just drag the body out. So that's not in the Bible. That's just one of those Jewish traditions that they had there. I don't know if they did that or not. Supposedly, they also had bells on their thing that the idea was, I've heard people teach on before, that if you quit hearing the bells ring, well, that means Joe died again. So we've got to somehow get him out. Maybe you wait till the next Day of Atonement. To, hey, bring out the body when you go in. Um, but no, that, that is not in the Bible of a tethered person like that. So, but Marcus does bring that up. That is the Jewish tradition. What else do we got here? Megan. No, I don't think they understood because if you go back, look at um, verse 5 of chapter 8, who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. This was a shadow. I don't think they necessarily understood it. And the reason we get it is because we look at it through the lens of Jesus. And it's kind of like if you were with us this last spring, we did a a couple-week study on the Passover meal, and then we had a Passover meal out here. If you're going into the Passover meal just following the Jewish traditions, it makes no sense. But when you look at the Passover meal through the eyes of Jesus, then it makes sense. So to answer your question, Megan, no, I don't think they stabbed her and said, Oh, wow, one way to get into heaven? Oh, wow, sacrifice for sins? And then I have to be washed? I don't think they put that all together. This is something that comes with the revelation of when you look at things through the eyes of Christ. Nobody else got anything before we move on? So now we're getting ready to go into the tabernacle. Please do not ever forget the amount of effort it would take to move this, the amount of utensils that would take to move this. This is a huge deal. I want to make sure that point is stressed. Don't forget the size of these things. 
I, I think a lot of times when we look at this type of stuff, we kind of look and say, oh, I, we don't really put it in perspective. You know, this, this temple right here, it's, like I said, it's, excuse me, this tabernacle, it's pretty big. 45 foot by like 75 foot tent. That's a big tent. 15 foot high, 7 foot walls. The gate itself is 30 feet. This is a pretty big thing that they're moving. All right, so now we're ready to move on to the inside. So what are we going to talk about now here on the inside? There's three pieces of furniture on the inside. You have the candlestick, the lampstand menorah, depending on what your translation is, the table of showbread, and you have this golden altar of incense. So let's talk about the first one first. The menorah or golden lampstand or candlestick. This is now on the inside of it, and you can see the picture down there. There really wasn't too much dimensions on how this was supposed to be and how big it was supposed to be. I think you can see the picture of this. Jesus is the light of the world. That's the whole point. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, this is the only light in the tabernacle. So if you do not have this lampstand going, you have no light. If you do not have Jesus in your life, you have no light. You may think you have light. But you don't. I I tell you, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize this. I've been telling so many people lately. They come up and they're talking about this certain person. And we'll say, okay, is this person saved? No. Well, then they don't have joy and peace. If they're not saved, they don't have Christ. They don't have joy and peace. If this lampstand's not there, there is no light. So therefore, the priest's job was to keep the lamp going all the time. This lamp would continually be burning. And the way it looked, it's supposed to have branches that look like almond trees with buds, blossoms, and flowers. It's really pretty. Made out of pure gold. Made out of pure gold. So this lamp is going constantly. That's the only light in there. Let me stress the point one more time. Jesus is the only light. He is the light of the world. Next thing you have is this table of showbread. This table of showbread is really interesting. Once again, this is a kale wood, and it's covered in gold. I wrote down the dimensions here of this just so you can get a feel for it. Three foot by one and a half feet by about two feet. So three foot by about one and a half feet by about two feet. Kind of imagine our communion table, if you will. And it sits across from the lampstand. It has 12 loaves of bread on it. The 12 loaves of bread represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the priest would bake this bread once a week. And every Sabbath day, the priest would remove the bread, and then they would eat it, and they'd put fresh bread on. So, once again, going back to this tabernacle, you have people that have different jobs. You have different priests that are baking bread, taking care of things. So every week, you have 12 fresh loaves of bread. They sit all day on the table there, and only the priests are allowed to be eaten the bread. And they're only allowed to eat it in the holy place. You can't cut a piece off and take it home to your wife. You can't. Now, if you know this... All of a sudden now, the story about David shows you the importance of what happened. If you remember the story of David, David's on the run from King Saul. He shows up here to the priest, and he says, Priest, we're hungry. We need some food. The priest said, The only food I got is the showbread. David said, Let me eat it. And the priest did. That's a big deal. The showbread was not supposed to be taken out. The showbread was only supposed to be eaten by the priest. That's a big deal. Now, we have a little phrase that we use out here at church. When something pops up, and it really just doesn't make sense, and I'm not saying it's unbiblical, but it's just like, this is maybe not the best way to handle this, but it seems like the Lord's leading this way. We have a little phrase, we say, well, David ate the showbread. So if you're a person that likes your I's dotted and your T's crossed, and B always has to follow A, and C always has to follow B, you hate the fact that David ate the showbread. He broke a lot of rules. 
Do you realize Jesus was a rule breaker? Every time he touched a leper, guess what he did? He broke the rules. The woman with the flow of blood, Jesus should have been unclean. He touched her. He broke the rules. Aren't you glad Jesus was a rule breaker? Now, please do not take that spiritual point and run with it. Okay? It's not going to get you out of speeding tickets. Don't do it. The point is, it's the greater good. That's the point. It's the greater good. This bread represents what? It represents Jesus as the bread of life. Straightforward there. It also represents communion. This bread, there was a loaf for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's supposed to represent God desired a relationship with Israel. But to have a relationship with God, what did you have to do? Get through the one gate, sacrifice your sins on the altar, be washed, realize Jesus is the light of the world, then you finally start getting to the point of a relationship. How many times do people that you know, work with, love, want a relationship with Jesus? They want to break bread with Him. But they don't want to admit they're a sinner. They don't want to believe that Jesus is the only way. They don't want to be washed in sin. And they believe there's many different ways and paths for somebody to have eternal life. Can't have it. Can't have it. You couldn't just walk into the temple or tabernacle, I keep, excuse me, and say, I want a piece of bread. You can't do it. So that bread is there. Pretty neat thing. Now, Next thing you have before you get into the Holy of Holies is the altar of incense up there top left. Altar of incense. Smaller than bronze altar. About one and a half feet by about three feet high. Once again, a kale wood overlaid with gold. Incense. Constantly burning. God commanded the priest to burn incense on the golden altar every morning and every evening. So when the daily sacrifices were being made, you would get the altar of incense going too. This is supposed to be burning continually. This represents what? Prayer. In the book of Revelation, prayer is referred to as a beautiful incense that the Lord goes up into heaven and that he kind of smells, if you will. When we lift up our prayers to the Lord, it's that idea of that. You know, there's just certain smells that make you think as if we're getting into the Christmas season. And if you ever walk in and you just smell those certain things, it's like that. That smells like the holidays right there. Well, this is what we're talking about here is the smell. So now you're finally getting close to the Holy of Holies. You're getting to that picture of prayer. Once again, how? By going through the one way, the sacrifice, being washed, fellowship with God. He's the light. Now you see the importance of prayer there. So this was symbolic of prayer and intercession of the Lord. Finally, now we get to the Holy of Holies. And you see the Ark of the Covenant down there on the bottom. The Holy of Holies was a 15 by 15. It's a perfect cube there. 15, 15, 15, 15. But before you could get into it, there's this huge veil. This huge veil made of all different types of material. You've got goat hair in there. You've you got leather in there. It's an interesting word in the Hebrew. If you want to study it out, some translations translate it badger skin. Some translations translate it porpoise skin. It's a really interesting word. It was big. It was thick. This thing could have been about a foot and a half thick, and it had to weigh so much. This is not just a little sheet to keep you from going into the Holy of Holies. This is this huge, thick veil that is a barrier that you can't get in. And once again, only one person, once a year, was allowed to go behind the veil to see the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you know what happens in the Gospels when Jesus dies on the cross. The veil is torn. And please note the veil is torn from top to bottom. To show what? God opened the veil for us to have a relationship with Him. God did, not us. And so this huge veil now protects. So if you were very 
fortunate to even get into the tabernacle area. But only certain priests and Levites could even get into the holy place. And then you'd only see the veil. You'd never see anything behind it. Only one person, once a year, got into the Holy of Holies. Please remember now, that's the Old Covenant. The New Covenant is the veil has been torn, and He wants everybody to come into the Holy of Holies, to come see the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, once again, bottom left right here. Three items that were in it, if you look here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. We have the golden pot that had manna. We had Aaron's rod that budded. We had the tablets of the covenant. Three things that were in there. They took this golden pot of manna to kind of keep as a memorial of God's provision. Remember, the manna is what fed them in the wilderness. So there's always something in there to remind you, God will provide for you. I don't know what's going through your life right now, but it's a reminder to you that no matter what you're facing, God will provide. That's the manna. What do you see next here with the rod that budded? That's an interesting one. That's from Numbers 17. They're trying to figure out who is supposed to lead. And so God said this. Hey, I want every one of the 12 tribes to take a branch, cut it off, leave it overnight. And the rod that buds the next morning is the one that I want to lead. And it was Aaron's rod. So they come back the next morning and Aaron's rod has flowers and leaves. God said, I want you to put that in the ark to remind what? I will lead. I will guide. And lastly, what do we have there in the ark? We have the Ten Commandments, tablets of the covenant, a picture of the law. Picture of sin. That law reminds you of sin. That's all been taken care of. So once a year, the high priest gets going there and sprinkle this with blood. Now, I just heard a teaching this year about this. I never thought about this before. Never thought about this. Every year they go in to the ark. Every year they go in and they sprinkle blood on the ark. So the priest would go in and he takes the blood and he takes the blood and he would take it and just put it on the ark to represent the blood of the animal taking care of the sins of the nation. It's a picture of Christ's sacrifice. I heard this teacher teach on He goes, can you imagine what that ark started to look like after a few years? Because there's nothing in the Bible about the priest went in the next day with a bottle of Windex and cleaned off the ark. That blood would keep building up. So can you imagine 40 years of wandering in the wilderness? 40 years of dried blood on top of that ark? Now maybe they did clean it. There's not a reference to that. Would that not be a picture for generations to come but they would bring that ark out to lead them in the battle, this thing would be blood-stained after years and years and years of days of atonement. What's it say in the book of Revelation about Jesus? Sure seems like he still carries the scars of Calvary throughout all of eternity. He looks like the lamb that was slain, the Bible says. We don't know exactly what that looks like. I've seen some artists picture it with just very nice scars, if you will, dare I say, pretty scars. I don't know what he's going to look like for all of eternity. But I'm willing to bet that that Ark of the Covenant, after decades, after centuries of days of atonement, there's a lot of blood on top of that thing. As a constant, visible reminder that it had to be the blood. And that's what atonement means. Atonement means to cover. That's what it means. So now you have this picture of the tabernacle. How this brings it all together. Go to the next slide here real quick, Dustin, if you would. Now you can put it all together, starting from my right to the left there. You walk in, the one gate, 30 foot wide, one entrance, seven foot high walls, altar of burnt offerings. Remind you, right then and there, sin needs to be taken care of. Jesus died for your sins. Next thing, you have the bronze laver to represent being washed clean. 
Now you go into the actual tabernacle itself. The golden candlestick there to represent Jesus as the light of the world. Table of showbread to represent communion. He wants to have fellowship with us. He's the bread of life. Altar of incense representing prayers. Your prayers going up to the Lord. Then you get to the veil. That barrier. The barrier only God can tear down. Which Jesus did on the cross from top to bottom. And now you're finally into the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God. Old covenant, one man once a year got to do that. New covenant, wow, we get to go in. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us here in Hebrews 8 and 9. This new covenant, this new testament, this new deal is so much better than the old. To have that personal relationship with Christ. And what a beautiful picture that is. And this is just a quick little overview of it. Boy, I tell you, if you want, go back and do some more studying on it. And if you're the type of person that finds Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, oh, man, James, it is so boring. Look at it through the eyes of Jesus. Look at it. Look for Christ in the law. And all of a sudden it comes alive. And now you start to see the beautiful picture of it. Any quick questions, comments about any of this? Ryan. Uh, when it came to the original tabernacle and Solomon's temple, were the measurements similar, the same, or were they exaggerated? No, bigger. Bigger. If you go compare the original dimensions of the tabernacle to the temple, uh, things got bigger. Which is also just a practicality of more people. If I remember correctly, the bronze altar itself of sacrifice, it got pretty big. And they actually had a step stool that they had to walk to get up on top of that because there were so many sacrifices going on. Anybody else got anything here before we close up? Megan. Mark of the Covenant is at uh, the Smithsonian. Uh, Indiana Jones found it. And um, I don't know what happened after that. It's in a box, and it's in the Smithsonian somewhere in the back. Correct, Ryan? A warehouse somewhere. Yeah. Warehouse. We don't know for sure where. Um, you know, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg would not lie, so I'm assuming that's where it's at. Uh, the real answer is no one knows where the Ark of the Covenant is at. The Ark disappears from biblical narrative in the Old Testament. And we don't know for sure what happened to it. If you look on certain sources online, certain sources online say that the uh, Jews know where the ark's at, and the, Jew ha- and the Jews have the ark. Israel does. And you can get online, and I, and I talk about this all the time. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is, this is stated fact. You can go look at the website. They are training up a group of men right now to be the priests. They are making all the utensils that need to be made. You can look at the garments. You can look at everything. There's a big push for certain groups in Israel that want to rebuild the temple. And um, there's temples going to be rebuilt. We know it's going to be rebuilt because if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, we're talking about end times. The temple was rebuilt because the Antichrist goes into the temple. So that, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So to answer Megan's question, where the Ark of the Covenant, we don't know. But supposedly people say that maybe some people in Israel actually know where it's at and they have it. So we don't know. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, now this is all fine and dandy. This is all a lot of fun information. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope when you read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you never look at that stuff the same. And I hope when the idea of the tabernacle comes up, you remember this. But once again, it means nothing. And that's a really stop and put this in perspective. I just encourage you, as you go home tonight, walk through the tabernacle in your mind. Just one way. And you see the altar. You see the, the, the labor. You see all this stuff. And they're all just a picture of Jesus until you finally get to that holy of holies. And you're like, wow, Lord, this is what it means to have a relationship with you. The new covenant. The new testament. And if nothing else, 
Now, when you open your Bibles, you know the difference of why it's Old Testament and New Testament. What a beautiful picture that is. All right, any final things before we close up in prayer? All right, let's pray. Lord, a lot of good stuff tonight, but Lord, we want to put it into practice. You are the only way. You're the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by you. We want to live it. We want to go out there and represent it and always say and do. Thank you for this time to be refreshed and encouraged. Thank you, Lord, for just the picture of this is, the symbolism of you, the shadow of the heavenly thing. We praise you and we thank you. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Hey, if anybody's got anything they want to pray about or anything like that, I'm going to hang around up here for a while. Come on up and pray. If not, you guys have a good week. God bless. Don't forget praise night, Saturday night.